Okay, so let's go. So today's daf is daf pei dalit. All right, page eighty-four. over here. We're up to daf pei dalit, and I would like to, if uh, you wouldn't mind, let's go back. Even though we got up to here to the bottom of pei gimel number base, I'd like to restart at the two dots. Uh, five lines from the bottom of the Yomud Pick up from Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Oimer Which is a quote from the Mishnah Where Rabbi Shimon ben said That if any husband makes a tenai Makes a condition That um, I'm separating He says to his wife I'm separating myself from your fields Including inheritance I'm not going to inherit your field Says Rabbi Shimon ben it doesn't matter what he says. He still inherits her. Because the Torah says that a husband inherits a wife. The Yarash Isa, he inherits her. And you can't make a stipulation which argues on something that's a pre-existing obligation in the Torah. That was the opinion of Reb Shimon ben Gamliel. And the Gemara is going to tear this apart and, and uh, get, get in depth over here. So here we go. Yeah, we all have the place. Five lines to the bottom of 83B. Here we go. All right, And this is going to be for the next little while We're going to try to clarify this statement He says like this The law is like of Shimon Gamliel The law is a husband cannot remove himself From the inheritance However It's not because of Shimon Gamliel's reason Shimon Gamliel gave a reason What was his reason? Because you can't, you can't make a condition Against what, that which the Torah says Says Rav, I agree with the halacha, but I don't agree with the reason. Okay, so now let's try to clarify what, what he means by this. My halacha of shimming amli What do you mean halacha is like of shimming but not for his reasoning? So my halacha of shimming amli What does it mean that halacha is like him, but not for his reasoning? Either halacha of shimming amli is like of shimming who holds that a husband, no matter what, whether or not he made a condition, is going to inherit the wife. But he argues on the reasoning, meaning the either of shimming amli of the opinion. That anybody makes a stipulation on that which the Torah says his condition is nullified. It doesn't work. The Rav Samar, but Rav's argue, Rav argues on that that uh, notion, and Rav's going to say no tonight. meaning he'll the husband will inherit, but it's not because there's a problem here of of him arguing on the Torah. Oh, but then one second, Rav. If it's not a problem to take a condition on the Torah, why are you agreeing to the halacha? What's going to be the source of the halacha? Now, why in the world is there the halacha that a husband who makes a stipulation still inherits? If you're allowed to make a condition, why are you still inheriting? Says the Gemara to explain like this. Here's the reason. Savar, Rab's going to say, I agree to the halacha, but I have a different reason. He's going to say, Yerusha Sabal He says, you should know, when a husband inherits, it is actually a Dinder It's a rabbinic decree. What about the Yarash Isa telling us he inherits her? Rav says, you know, Really, as we're going to see, the Chachamim are using that verse to hang their law on. And what they do very often, as we explained yesterday when we learned through this Gemara, is in order for the Rabbanan to really establish their decrees so people take it seriously, they'll give it a strengthening even more so than a than a Torah law. So maybe Rob's going to say like this. Rob's going to hold like this. Let's get clarity. A husband has no right to nullify his rights of inheritance. Why? Says Rav, because inheriting a wife is rabbinic 
And the rabbis say that even though you can nullify a biblical enactment, you cannot nullify a rabbinic enactment. That's going to be the reason for Rav. So now let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. And we're going to notice two different sources now as to why the husband stipulation doesn't work. According to Rav Shemming of the Omni Mishnah, the husband stipulation is not going to work because he's arguing on the Torah. He's making a condition on that which says explicitly in the Torah. According to Rav, it's not going to work because it's rabbinic. And the rabbis strengthened their decree to a point where they said, you can't make a stipulation. Fine. But notice, according to this approach of what Rav means when he says, I agree in halacha, but I disagree with the source. According to this approach, Rav is going to say, you may make a tenai, you may make a condition on a biblical law. You can do that according to Rav, according to this approach. Again, Rav Shingham is saying biblically you cannot make a tenai, and Rav saying biblically you can, rabbinically you can't, but biblically tenai kayam, the condition would be valid. That's the approach we're taking right now, and the Gemara is going to challenge whether that actually makes sense in Shitas Rav, in Rav's opinion. So let's go, top of today's daf. Says the Gemara, the summer Rav tenai kayam, does Rav really hold? That when somebody's masne amashikosu b'tayr, when somebody makes a decree about that which the Torah st- uh, says, it's going to be valid. But we learned elsewhere. A person sells something; he sells a can of soda, like we said yesterday, for ten dollars. Can of can of soda for ten dollars. That's all you know. That's ripping the guy off. You're not allowed to charge more than a sixth of the going price. The guy says, I'll, "I'm charging you ten bucks. I'll, I'll sell to you on condition that you have no claim of." Of uh, of uh, oh no against me that I'm overcharging. So Rav Rav says it doesn't it doesn't matter what you say. The buyer, the purchaser, can still say to the to the one who sold him the soda for ten dollars after he can say, listen, buddy, give me back my money. You way overcharged me. That's what Rav says. Now, according to why would Rav allow that? Because the Torah says you can't. I don't care what the seller said. Doesn't matter. Rav must be of the opinion you cannot make a stipulation and argue on something the Torah obligates you in. That's why the purchaser could demand the money back. So be it as it may. Ask the Gemara question. According to our original approach, Rav holds you can make a stipulation on a biblical transgression. But according to this story, of the $10 in the can of soda, Rav seems to imply you cannot make a stipulation on a biblical obligation. So which one is it? Says the Gemara, you're right. You're right. It, th- that cannot be why Rav argues on Rav Shemming Amliel. It cannot be that Rav holds that when you stipulate biblically, it's valid. It can't be the reason. So now we're back to square one. What do we still need to figure out? We need to figure out why Rav agrees to the halacha of Rav Shemming Ben Gamliel that a husband will still inherit the wife while disagreeing as to the reason. What is going to be Rav's source? We're back to that question. What's going to be his reason? So says the Gemara, What Rav means is not that the halacha is like Rav Shem Gamliel, that the husband inherits. Rather, he's saying halacha is like Rav Shem Gamliel, that you cannot make a stipulation on something the Torah says. Says Rav, I agree to Rav Shingam Liel in that respect. 
However, v'lav mitame. But I disagree with the reasoning. What reasoning? says, since you cannot make a condition on what the Torah says, if a, if a husband, uh, you know, if the wife dies first, the husband will still inherit her, despite what he said. However, Rav says, no, if she dies first, he's not going to inherit her. Why? Why not? Because again, Rav says that a husband inheriting is rabbinic. It's not biblical. And therefore, him making a stipulation is not arguing, is not making a stipulation on something the Torah says. He's making a stipulation on a rabbinic decree. And that he's going to argue on. Fine. So the issue over here is, if we're going to now change the ta- turn the table and say that Rob's agreeing to the halacha of you, you can't be masna masha because of the Torah, but he argues on whether or not the husband can inherit what it's coming out with is that Rab's agreeing to Shem Ben Gamliel's reasoning. He's passing the halacha like Shem Ben Gamliel's reasoning, but he's still arguing on the halacha, the ultimate halacha, the Mishnah. Because again, Rab Shem Gamliel in the halacha, the Mishnah is saying a husband does still inherit, and Rab is saying that a um, a husband will not inherit because it's going to be a demidrabona. That's going to be that's going to be uh, Rav's approach. So we're back to square one again. We're back to square one. What's Taka going to be? Rav Svara to uh, argue on Rav Shimming Amliel in in reasoning, but agree in in halach. In halach. So says the Gemara. Okay, you're right. Let's keep trying to make sense of this. Ella halachik Rav Shimming Amliel. Rather, what Rav means that halach is like Rav Shimming Amliel. It is the Amar Emesa Yershana. He agrees that if she dies first, he'll still inherit her despite his condition. But he argues on the reasoning. According to he says, when you're Masna Mashikosabatayra, when you make a condition, is that what the Torah says? It's null and void. But Rafshingamil will say, let's say you make a stipulation on a rabbinic decree, that's okay. That'll be valid. The Rav Savar, I feel tonight bottle, and Rav's gonna say that no, Midrabanon, even Midrabanon, you cannot make a condition. If the Rabbanon make a decree, who are you to make a stipulation that it should be otherwise? You can't do that either. That's gonna be Shitas Rav. That's gonna be the pin of Rav. Says the Gemara, whoa, 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 whoa. We still have a problem on this as well. Why? Because Hai Kitame Vihokhusakavase. According to this, um, Rav Shimming Amliel is saying a halacha and a reason. Rav Rav's not arguing on his law and he's not arguing on his reasoning. You know what Rav's doing? He's adding chumras. Let's explain. Let's explain. The halacha is a husband will still inherit the wife. Even though he made a condition that he wants to separate himself from this field, he'll still inherit the wife. That's the halacha. Does Rav agree with that? Yes. Rav agrees with that. Okay. Now, what's the reason for Shimming Amliel saying that you'll still inherit? Because it is, um, because it's, uh, it's biblical. It's a, and you, you can't uh, make a decree against something that the Torah says. Does Rav agree with that? Yes. Rav agrees with that too. 
The only difference is, is that Rav's going ahead now and adding and saying, hey, everybody, by the way, I want to tell you something. Even if you argue on a Midrabanon, even if you make a condition on a Midrabanon, even then, the stipulation is not going to be listened to. So says the Gemara, Rav's not arguing on the reason of Rav he's adding another circumstance to Rav Shiv Ben Gamliel. And if he's adding, so then we're using the wrong expression. So again, we're back to square one. We want to know, when Rav says, our original statement on Pei Gimel Amit the halacha is like Rav Shiv Ben Gamliel, but not for his reasoning, what does Rav mean? When he's arguing on the on the goof, on the body of reasoning, we haven't found that yet. We haven't found Rav arguing on the body of reasoning. So, how do we make sense of this? We're back to we're back to square one. Says the Gemara. Let's try this again. Ella, rather, rather, what we mean is like this: We agree with Allah of that if the wife dies first, the husband, despite what he said, is still going to inherit her. But Rav is going to argue on the reasoning. Why? Rav Shingamil holds that a husband inheriting a wife is a din daraisa. It's a biblical reality. And therefore, it doesn't matter what he says, because you can't, you can't change something that's pre-existing in the Torah. But Rav says, no, 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 no. A husband inheriting is merely a rabbinic decree. And the Rabbanon make a strengthening of their decree to make it the same as the Torah. So it says, Rav, what do you mean I argue on the reasoning? Rav Shem Gamliel is saying that the reason why we don't listen to the husband's condition, the husband's tanai, is because it's Torah and you can't make a condition on something Torah Well, Rav's coming along and saying the reason why we don't listen to the the reason why we don't listen to the condition of the of the husband is because of the Rabbanon. And we strengthen the Rabbanon to be like a Daraisa. So everyone's agreeing to Allah. Everyone agrees the husband's still inheriting. The dispute is, is it because he's, is it because uh, you can't argue on a biblical thing? Because you can't argue on a biblical thing. But either way, the Allah is remaining the same. All right. Says the Gemara. The Rav Savi Rusa Baal Rabbanon. Now here's the problem. The Torah gives us words telling us a husband inherits a wife. The Yarash Isa means he inherits her. According to what we're saying now, a husband inheriting is merely rabbinic. So let's just clarify Rav's approach. Does Rav really hold inheriting a a, 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 a husband inheriting a wife? Rabbi Yechem says, You have to return the property to the family and he deducts the value that it, that it uh, costed him, but the mice of the field goes the, the field goes back. Now, what is, what's going on over here? So we know that in Eretz Yisrael, every yovel, every fifty years, every jubilee, so the land goes back to the original uh, the, the original mishpacha, right? The original family within that shevet, they're going to uh, they're going to have ownership of the land. So what happens if you have a wife who comes into a marriage with Nikhsay Maluk? Yeah? And then she dies first. So she retained rights over her land. He got the produce. She died first. Who got it? The husband. The thing is, she's from uh, she's from the Friedman family. He's from the Schwartz family. 
So by Yoivel, he is going to be obligated to give the land back to its original owner. It's going to go back to her side, to, to, to the Friedman family, right? The original family that it, uh, that, that it came from. Okay, except he could deduct. He could deduct um, the, the price from them. Okay, now what does it mean to uh, deduct from them? He can't charge them full value. We'll see why, you know, he did get use out of this. And we, and we clarified about this. My Kosovar, what is, what is uh, Rabbi Echenon ben Breka's approach to, to all this? What's his approach? If he that a husband inheriting land from a wife is a biblical reality, so then who owns it completely? The husband. Amayachse. Why is he giving it back at Yaivo? What's his obligation? What's the obligation? Now, what do you mean? Why not? So Rashi clarifies for us here that there's a halacha that if if land, a steyachuza, a land of inheritance, falls to somebody through laws of inheritance, it actually remains theirs. They become the new original owner. If land falls to you in a way of inheritance, you become the original owner. So if it's going to be a biblical acquisition that the husband has when the wife dies first on her nechseh malog, why are you giving it back by Yavu? You become the new mishpacha, the new family that has original ownership. And if Rabbi Yechem is of the opinion that the husband is inheriting rabbinically, well, where's there any sort of value? We said he gives it back at a discounted price. He could deduct from the value. I don't understand. Was it ever sold to him? No, he inherited his wife from Shaykhs. And Rav says, Really, really Rabbi Yechim Abreka holds that a husband inheriting is biblical. And you know what the case is? Yeah? Uh, uh, let's see, Jim's not on right now. This is a good dot for him. But uh, what happened was, the land that she brought in as her nechseh malug was a cemetery. You can make good money off a cemetery. Yeah? So she comes in to the marriage with nechseh malug of a cemetery. And, the ish, and what's unique about a cemetery is that people care a lot about who's buried in cemeteries. We know there's halachas about communal cemeteries, who's allowed to be buried there. But specifically back then, people would have family cemeteries. And they, they didn't want other people being buried there and owning the land. See, if somebody else, let's say the, the wife comes into a, let's say the wife comes into a marriage with nichse maluk, maluk property, and included in that property is a cemetery. She, now who's buried in that cemetery? Her father, her grandfather, her uncles, her aunts, it's all her side of the family. Now she dies. The husband's going to inherit the cemetery. Who's he? He's got a whole different name. He's got a whole different mishpacha. They, they, they don't want the, a whole other family being buried there. It's called pegam mishpacha. It's, it's hurtful to the whole family. It's a, it's, a, it's a disgrace to the cemetery, so to speak. That's not what it was, that's not what it was meant for. So in a case where a wife comes in with nechseh malug of a cemetery... What he should do is like this. He's not allowed to hold on to that cemetery and bury there whoever he wants. But what he could do is he can give, you know, offer it back to her family 
in exchange for money. And what does it mean that you give a discounted price? To make Kabarishtai, meaning they don't have to pay him for the value of his wife's grave. Because he's responsible in that anyway. Kidatanya, because we went to the Brisa. Yeah, Kidatanya, we went to the Brisa. You got us? When he, when he sells the land back to the wife's side of the family, uh, they don't have to pay him for the plot where his wife is supposed to be buried there. They don't need to pay him for that because that's his financial responsibility. So they'll say, yeah, we'll buy the land back, in a, you know, but that, that little piece of real estate, we don't need to pay you for it. That's your own is to have your wife buried. If a person sells his own... Uh, his own um, Chalak, we call it, right? His own plot of earth or the road to his chalak, the road to his plot. So here's what happened. This is not uncommon. You have uh, people that own plots on Harazasim, people that own plots on Harabayas, people that, and they, they want to resell it. They want, they want to resell it. They bought it for $2,000. It's now worth thirty grand. They want to resell it. So the guy sells, sells uh, his plot to somebody else Okay So we say um, Or a place Where supposed to be a maimed uh, Where they're supposed to uh, Get together And and, uh, and eulogize him uh, I lost the place I'm sorry um, So his family After the sale After he dies Can go Can come along and and the and still bury him in that original plot that he sold. You know why? They say he had no right up. They could reimburse him from the estate, but they'll say This guy, we have a family chelak over here. There's there's fifty plots. One plot was designated for Yankel. We know that, but now Yankel's going to go ahead and sell that plot. You don't have no no no. When Yankel dies, we're burying him there. You can't, this is a beautiful idea as being a member of Klal Yisrael, right? But the, the parable given to something like this is you, if you're on a boat, you can't make a hole under your cabin and say, I could do what I want. It's my, it's my floor. No, if you make a hole in your cabin, the Gansazach, the whole boat sinks. So this guy wants to go ahead and sell his, and sell his chaylik. Eh, tough luck. You can't do that. It's, it's Pagamish Bacha. Fine. So you see from over here, bottom line, getting back to our original question, can Rav hold that a husband inheriting is rabbinic? No. It's surely biblical. Gavaldic. It's Mahusivian. a proof. Excellent proof. Rav himself holds husband inheriting is not rabbinic. This is a real um, this is a real biblical inheritance. That's why we have this whole conversation. Says the Gemara, Rav was not explaining his own thought; he was explaining the thought of Rebbechem Abreka. But Rav himself will actually say that a husband inheriting is actually a dinder is actually a rabbinic decree. Period. End of the Gemara. Bottom line: Let's take a step back at the broader picture and and just understand. Going back, this this entire Gemara was trying to clarify Rav's statement. On the bottom of Pegim Lamed Beis, which was, I agree, Talacha of Shimon Gamliel, that the husband's not that the husband will continue to inherit no matter what he says. But I argue on the reasoning. What does that mean? What it means is like this: If Shimon Gamliel says that the husband still inherits because you can't argue on a biblical reality, and Rob's going to say that the husband still inherits because 
you can't argue on this particular rabbinical reality. He's arguing as to whether it's rabbinic or biblical, whether it's darabana daraisa, but the maisa ultimately to the halacha, they are agree. Okay, period. End of the Gemara. Now we're up to the next Mishnah, two thirds of the way down on Daf Pei Dalid Amad Aluf. All right, here we go. This is going to be a a uh, very straightforward um, Mishnah, and let's give a quick introduction. Yankel owns a field that has a lien on it. He's got multiple liens. Who does the estate pay back first? What do you say? Who should it pay back first? So you're saying whoever is in line, right? Yeah, first in line. Who, who are you paying back first? Biggest one, the smallest one, the smallest chiv, the smallest debt. How should he pay back? Not sure. <laughs> okay, good, beautiful. So here we go. Here we go. Let's see. So Misha Meis Veniach Yishu Balchayvarshim. Yeah, uh, Reuven Reuven is always the troublemaker so Reuven dies And his land is now uh, Is now indebted Right Has a lien on it To his wife She's, she's allowed to collect her ksuba He also has a balchayv Somebody who he owes money to The Yarshim And uh, these people who want to inherit his estate Everybody wants their, their piece of the pie So how do we give it back How do we give back the, the pieces of the pie now, to add another layer to the issue is he has a pikadon, he has a deposit, or a loan, uh, in the hands of other people. So here's what happened. When Ruven dies, he doesn't own anything specific other than money that's coming in in the future. Call it a bond that's going to mature in two years. That's the inheritance that he's leaving over. Okay? So, um, the issue is like this. If it would be hard property, the first people that get their hands on it are going to be the inheritors. Now, they may be obligated to use what they have their hands on to reimburse. But the Maisai... Practically speaking, since they have their hands on it first, anybody else who wants is going to have to prove their way. That what's unique about this case is that nobody has their hands on the money yet. Nothing, the loan hasn't matured. The deposit is in somebody else's domain. So nobody specifically has the first dibs. So how are we going to view this? So here we go. Reb Tarfin So Zok the Hilliger Reb Tarfin. Reb Tarfin says, Yinosnu lakaishol shabahem. You know who you you know who gets first? You give it to the the kaisho shabaham, the the weakest one. Now, who's the weakest one? The one that uh, can't lift ten pounds. The one with the weakest claim. The one with the smallest claim. What does this mean? What does this mean? So, let it bother us. We'll wait till the Gemara. The Gemara Mafarishla. The Gemara is going to explain what it is. But the answer is, if you owe this to multiple people, the one with the weakest hand. Is going to be the one who gets paid back first, according to Rabbi Tarfin. Okay, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, no, ain marachamim There's no need to have rachmanus, no need to have mercy in halacha. This is not about being nice. Apparently, Rabbi Tarfin, who says the weakest gets it first, is being nice to somebody. 
says Rabbi Akiva, this is not the time to be nice. Ella, ye nosnu liyarshim. You got it. It's not that good. It, it's a time to place the money where it's meant to be. And therefore, the money goes to the yarshim. It goes to the inheritors. Okay. They're still going to get first this. Why? Says Rabbi Kiva, I'll explain to you why. Shekulon tzrichin shvua, ve'ena yarshin tzrichin shvua. Anytime the other scenarios, for example, a woman collecting her ksuba, or a balchayv, uh, um, a lender, um, uh, you know, a dem- d- demanding, huh? Bar, or right, either way, yeah, either way. No, so the truth, no, because because in our case. He's a lender. No, so in our case, he's not the lender. In our case, he borrowed money that's going to be indebted back to the to the lender. The father had borrowed money, so now he has a balchayv. He has he, he. Yeah. Right. Right. So he's. So you're saying if he borrowed money, he's going to have to pay back to to. That third party That's true But the father died And the loan's gonna become due In in four months after death So Does the money go to the lender First Or does the money go to the widow first Or is the money gonna go to the uh, inheritors first Who's it going to You're right I think I explained uh, For for those uh, Listening on the On the recording Did I explain it originally That the father had lent money Okay, yes. Yeah, so by, by a case of a balchayv, the, the father had borrowed money, so the estate is now indebted, but it hasn't matured yet. It ha- it's, it's not you know it, it's it's not time to pay back yet. Okay, so the so we say it like this: says Rabbi Akiva, if somebody lends money to the father, the father dies, and he wants to collect, he's going to have to take an oath. Same thing by Iksuba, you take an oath. The yarshim inheritors do not need to take an oath since they don't need to take an oath. So that obvious, the Bikiva logic dictates that that gives them a stronger yacht, a stronger hand in uh, in ownership over here. Okay, Vaitur the Mishnah. Let's say he dies and there's fruit that is separated from the ground. So let's say the, there was uh, real estate that didn't belong to him. Let's say it belonged to the wife. But remember, he gets the produce. So now the produce is already detached. So the husband had ownership. So it's first come, first serve. First come, first serve. Now, in order for this to happen as well, it has to be where the inheritors don't yet have the fruit. Because otherwise, they, they already were zaychet, right? They already did gain rights in it. So it has to be, whatever the situation is, they, they didn't have any uh, access to it. Let's say the wife ends up taking more than what was allotted in her ksuva, or the, the lender takes more than he lent, the extra money, Reb Tarfin says, 
like he said before, you give back to the weakest hand amongst them. And we'll, again, the Gemara will explain what the weakest hand is. And Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says, "Ein merachem and bedin." Again, we cannot have rachmanus over here. Ella yinos ne yarshim. It goes to the yarshim. Shakul and zuchin shvua. Then a yarshim zuchin shvua. You see that uh, that uh, inheritors don't don't need to make a shvua. Hence, they've got a stronger. They, you know, they they're more connected to it. They don't need to take less of them to pull it away, and therefore they're going to get first dibs. Okay, fine. Now let's get to the Gemara, which Baruch Hashem is a tremendous chesed tears up the Mishnah and helps us understand it piece by piece. So let's get going. The Mishnah said, you have somebody who died, he left behind a widow who wants to collect suba, he left behind a lender, he left behind inheritors, and he has either a deposit or he has uh, a loan out there, an outstanding loan. Lovely the mistake uh Lovely the mistake Milva, lovely the mistake Picada, nasty Gemara. Why do we need these two cases? Says Gemara Tzricha. I need both cases. Each one has their own chiddush. Why? Deep Tana Milva. If we would have only given the case of the loan, Bahokamar of Tarfan, that's where Tarfan says, Bishon the Milva, Lights on Nibna. That's what Tarfan says, you give it to the weakest hand because a loan is meant to be used. What does that mean? What it means like this I give you 100 bucks. You are not expected to give me back the same $100. You're expected to use that money and pay me back a different hundred dollars, right? It's like that famous, uh, famous joke. The famous joke about uh, th- th- this guy th- walks into Chase Bank in Manhattan. It's well known. We heard this many, many times, but it's Kadai repeating. Yeah, he goes in Chase Bank in Manhattan and he wants to he wants to borrow uh, three thousand dollars cash. He wants three thousand say three thousand dollars cash. Um, we need a collateral. He says, Besader, take my Bentley." Take my Bentley. He said, what's your Bentley? My Bentley's outside. They said, okay. They pull it into the Chase Manhattan parking garage. He says, I'll pay you back in three weeks. Okay. So they're holding on to his Bentley for, for a $3,000 loan. Comes back a week later. And uh, he hands back the same water cash. Same water cash. So they said, uh, you know, why, why give, why'd you borrow the money in the first place? So he says, listen, the interest on the $3,000 for a week ended up being 36 bucks. Where else can I get parking for a week in Manhattan for $36? So I, I know, take it back and finish, finito. You know what I mean? So, but Lamaisa, usually when you spend, when you spend, uh, it's a Yiddish cup, but when you spend, when, you, when uh, you, you lend money to somebody, you don't expect the same thing back. You expect different cash to be there. That's happens by a loan. If you have a deposit by somebody else, you expect the exact same item to be returned. Right? There's a deposit. Deposit means it's by you for a spe- specified amount of time. Then you give me that exact same thing back. Sometimes we, in, in our own vernacular, we make this mistake. Sometimes we say to somebody, can I borrow your pen? The, now, it's fine because everybody knows what you mean. But the truth is, you're not really borrowing the pen. Because if I would borrow your pen, I would be obligated to return it with the same amount of ink that was in there. But what do I mean when I borrow, can I borrow your pen for a minute? I mean, can I borrow your pen to use it and then I'll give you back the same pen with less ink? What I really mean is, can I use your pen? That's really what I'm, uh, that's really what we're, we're aiming for. But be it as it may, it's okay. People, people, people understand what your, uh, you know, what the, what the mahalach is and, and what you mean. 
But the Gemara here is creating this uh, differentiation. We're saying there's a difference between when you expect to give the exact same thing back or something else back. So here we go. Says the Gemara. Titan Mova, Bokamar, Tarfim, Shuntamova, Litsanina. Mova is meant to be used. I will pick on the Isabe, but when a deposit, you expect the exact same thing back. I would say he had reached Rabbi Akiva that the Yarshim get first dibs because even though it's out of the domain right now since this exact item is meant to be returned as Rashi explains it's as if the Yarshim already have their hand on it and Allah would be like Rabbi Akiva Vitan Han if you will give him the case of the Pekadon I would say that's where Rabbi Akiva says that the Yarshim uh, still have a uh, have the strongest yad in it because you know they, they uh, they're they're expecting the same exact thing back. But in the other case of the money, I'll say they're maskim to tarfim. So therefore, tzricha. I need both the case of pekadim and the case of the loan. Fine. Says the Gemara. My lekaisho. Now let's clarify this. Reb Tarfin says you give it to the weakest one. Who's going to get it? The weakest one. The weakest one's going to get it. Who's the weakest one? What does that mean? And for the Gemara, the one that has the weakest raya, the one that has the weakest proof. Okay, now what do you mean the weakest proof? So the weakest proof is the most, uh, Rashi explains over here, the most recent star, the most recent document. Now why is the most recent document the weakest? Very simple. When you have a lien on property, who's usually going to get the first one? What do you say? Huh? That's right. That's right. So you're going to go, generally going to go to the one that has the longest existing star. They're, we're going to say they got the first dibs. There was already, uh, there's already a lien from the entire estate uh, five years ago. And then he got married three years ago. So now his widow's ksuba is only coming, uh, you know, more recently. So that's that's what we call a weaker star. It's weaker. It's more. It's more recent. Okay. So Reb, Reb Tarfin is going to say it goes to the more recent. That's what weak means. The most recent ones. Reb Tarfin says that no. You know what the weakest is? The weakest means ksuba sisha. Beautiful. Ksuba sisha means it's going to go to the it's going to go to the wife. The widow, she gets it. You know why? Mishum China. Mishum China. What does it mean, Mishum China? Because of grace, because of favor. And what it means is as follows. That we want women to be more interested in, um, in, uh, in marriage when, when it comes to uh, finances. So let's say you have a man who marries a woman. And he writes a ksuba to her. In the Ksuba, he's got 200 zuz plus everything else. But she knows this guy's a businessman. He's got deals all over the place. He for sure has some pre-existing obligations, right? But that's what happens with every cash flow. And, uh, every, you know, every time you're, you're, you're giving him this, and it's going back and forth. So what we're going to say to a woman is, you know what? Whenever you marry the guy, you should know if he passes away and there's, there are certain things that are not, you know, Mamish uh, real estate yacht in the estate. It's metalcal and it's movable property. We're going to give you first dibs on this. We don't. We don't want women to be nervous about it. Now, particularly a woman will be nervous about it because they don't. They're not expected to be out there in the business world to to fully hop and grasp. A woman's going to say, you know, like sometimes with credit cards, people like that. Some people they're going them in credit cards. There's somebody who in uh, by us in St. Louis. He's uh, he he told me he pays all his tuitions on credit cards. What does he do? So he's got a very successful business, and every time he receives a zero percent uh, credit card, 
for 18 months with cash advance. So he has his secretary pull out the full amount, 10000 18000 $25,000, whatever it is. And he has her, um, he, he puts all that money into either uh, a safe stock or he'll put it into a, into a bond for 18 months. He has her pay off the minimum payments every month. At the end of the 18 months or 24 months, they pay back the full amount and he holds on to all the interest that was earned. And that's how he is. You know, so when you have enough offers like that and you have enough of uh, people hired, they, you know, they make sure once a month to have all your minimum payments uh, paid off and you don't mess up. Okay, so yeah, you can hold cup like that. But you need a, you need a first of all, ha- huh? Oh, right, plus all the points. Very good, right? But a guy like me, I'm not interested. It sounds like a brilliant idea. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it sounds like fun, except that it'll cost me. Except that it'll cost me more. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. You become my secretary, and then uh, <laughs> we, we have a deal. <laughs> All right, but be it as it may, that's that's what this woman's thinking. Says the Gemara. A woman's thinking. Listen, I, I know my husband is going to have a ksuba that's mashuba to me. But I don't, I don't know what he has going on over there. And then he's going to pass away and then this and that. Everybody's going to get in line for their turn to maybe make a little bit. Forget it. Forget it. Hack her a cup. Leave her alone. Leave her alone, right? So says the, so says Rabbi Yechon, the Ksuv Asisha, the weakest one, says Rabbi Tarifan, she gets it. You know why? Mishum China. Mishum China. So, Mishum China. Okay. Says the Gemara Vaiter. Here we go. Kitanoi, like we learned in Machlekes Tanoiim, Rabbi Nami Noimer. Rev Benjamin says, Hakaishel Shabariya, the one who has the Shabariya, the one with the the biggest machshil in the right, the one with the weakest proof, for who kosher and his kosher. So same Machlekes that we find is either the taka the weakest one is the most recent one or it's referring to Ksuvasisha. same Machlaikas amongst the Amiram we have amongst the Machlaikas Tanayim beautiful okay two dots here we go fighter Hiniach Peres Atlushin what happens the, the guy uh, kicks the bucket he passes away and he leaves behind Peres Atlushin he leaves behind uh, fruit that is already separated so he gained ownership yeah, his wife owned the land she came in with the same log and he uh, already detached the produce and now the produce is there and uh, it was it was fully his now he passes away he says the Gemara of Rebbe Kiva according to Rebbe Kiva I'm sorry Rebbe Kiva according to Rebbe Kiva why is it only going on the Miser the extra amount why don't we say all the produce is already in the domain of the Yarshim it's already in the domain of the inheritors since they're in their domain, they should get first dibs. They've got their hands on it. If the wife wants it, or the creditor wants it, let them remove from the arshim. Rabbi Kiva would agree. Yeah, once Rabbi Tarfa was dealing with the extra, Rabbi Kiva's dealing with the, with the, he's also talking about Miser, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not specific to Miser. Rabbi Kiva, says the Gemara, according to Rabbi Akiva, does Tfisa, grabbing hold of the property, does that help anything at all? Okay. Now the Gemara is asking that if from our Mishnah it seems to imply that if somebody would have taken land on their own, it would be even if it would be the widow or be the balchayv, the creditor, it would be on everybody else to remove it. Does the Bekiva agree with that idea? What happened was he the, the creditor already took it when the husband was alive. He was already alive. 
According to Tarfin, um, you know, what's the halacha if it's lying there after death? One case is where it was gathered together and piled up in Rosh Hashanah, so the, the inheritors never had access to it. They never, they never took ownership. It was never their domain. But if it would be in a simta, remember we learned this in Erevin, a simta is considered a part of a Rosh Hashanah that's it's a little more protected. It's kind of off to the side. Then we say that is an area that somebody can take ownership of. And the Yarshim, the inheritors, would have the first dibs, and nobody could take it away from them. They agree over here, and they both say, No, even if, it, even if the produce is inside of the Simta, if it's the Simta, the Allah is going to be that um, the Yarshim are going to have the first dibs. All right, here we go. Let's get into a Maisa, let's get into a story. Doin Daini Ke Reptarf. There were judges that said the halach is like Reptarfin that if a balchayv goes and grabs it, even after the father's death, he's allowed to keep it. And Rishlakish walked over to these dayonim and he said, "You are wrong. You must give it back." Yeah, you you're uh, you know you're considering the halach of Rabbi Akiva like kishal yeah, as if it's uh, as if it's mamish something that that uh, can't be argued on. Okay. The Maybe the is over here. One opinion is that if there's a psak that argues explicitly on a mishnah, then we go back on the psak. The other opinion is that if you make a mistake and often a mishnah. And we're not going to reverse the Psaq Allah. Says Gemara, no, that's not the reason why the Kuliyama Tabit Var Mishnah Everybody agrees because it's a clear cut Allah that a dying makes a mistake. You go back, you go back. And generally, passing Rabbi Kiva. Now, the assumption here is that Rabbi Kiva's Rebbe, or one of his Rabbeim, was Rabtarf. So, when do we generally agree that Rabbi Akiva? That's when he argues on his Chavir. However, when he argues on his Rebbe, who again here we're considering to be Tarfin, we're not going to bask in like Rabbi Akiva. Umar Sawar Allah Afilu Me Rabbi. The opinion is Allah is like Reb Tarfin Afilu Me Rabbi, even when he's arguing against his Rebbe, Reb Tarfin. You always go back and re- and take up sack back and create it and, uh, uh, like Rabbi Akiva. Or you can say, Everybody agrees that what Rabbi Akiva argues, we're always going to paskin like him when he's arguing on his friends, on other, on other uh, B'nai Yeshiva, you know, but, uh, but we don't pass like him when he argues on his Rabbi. But what's unique over here is, Mar Sava Reb Tarfin Rabbi, how much of a Rabbi Reb Tarfin is over Rabbi Akiva. So one opinion was Reb Tarfin's taka considered Rabbi Akiva's Rabbi. Mar Sava Reb the other opinion is no. Rabbi Kiva Tarfin was only considered to be on the level of Rabbi Akiva's chaver. Viba Yisheva, another possible approach to machlekes is to kuli al mechaveri chaver. Everybody grows. Everybody uses chaver. Machlekes over here is mar savar halacha itmar. One says that the halacha is like Rabbi Akiva. That's when it was stated flat out. Mamish like the psak. Mar savar mutton itmar. That we're not automatically gonna. Paskin like Rabbi Akiva, even when all you know all the tables are stacked against him, but we're always going to lean towards the psak of of Rabbi Akiva. But let's say somebody gave a judgment, somebody gave a, a dying gave a gave a psak, which punked in this situation. 
didn't uh, he didn't agree to follow the shita of Rabbi Akiva, you're not going to go back and reverse that whole sock just because there was an opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Again, if we're hanging everything on Rabbi Akiva, so then who's anybody to argue? But if you're going to say that's not, you should know Rabbi Akiva always carries more weight. His psaac carries more weight than anybody else. So we're always going to lean towards him, but it doesn't mean that it has the mamish uh, uh, reverse of psaac to always be like that. Okay. Another uh, another couple of maizalach take us down towards the bottom of, the, of, of today's daf. Here we go. Kreva der Rabbi Eichenon. There were, there were uh, relatives of Rabbi Eichenon. Tafas parad diasme misimta. They took a cow of the inheritors from a simta. Again, it's this protected place in the Rishus Harabim. So what happened? Also, so other the other people were owed money. They want their tainus. So also, look at Rabbi Yechonon. They came in front of Rabbi Yechonon. Omar Luhu Shaper Tafsua. It was beseder. It was okay. Also, look at Rabbi Shimon Lakish. Omar Luhu It's not okay. Go give it back. Go give it back. Also, look at Rabbi Yechonon. They came for Rabbi Yechonon. Omar Luhu Moasa. Yeah, listen. Now remember, Rabbi Yechonon and Rish Lakish were beloved brother-in-laws who loved to. To love to agree, but very often they just didn't. <laughs> they didn't see eye to eye. But he says, if that's what my my Halegi uh, brother-in-law rules, Amar lehu ma'ese shekenegdi cholakalai. Yeah, Rabbi Reish Lakish argues, and therefore we're going to follow his psaka. Who bakaradi asmi? There was a um, somebody like a, a shepherd, but it's a bakar is cattle, so a, a cattle herder of. Of Yasme, of orphans. He worked for orphans. The Tafsi Tairamine, where somebody came, now he worked for the orphans, somebody came and took one of the cattle from him, claiming that the original father of the orphans owed it to him. Owed it to him. So, Balchayv Amar Mechaim Tafisale, the Balchayv said, I took it while the, while the father was, was still alive. Okay? Still alive, and therefore, what I took, I took. It was in my domain at the time of death. You took it after after the guy died. It was too late, uh, and it was already in the domain of the of the Yarshim. No, there's no witnesses. We're going to listen to the creditor because he could have said, "I bought it." The fact that since he could have come with a stronger claim. We're going to believe his claim to say the father was alive. Ah, but things that are in a pen, such as animals, do not have a chazaka. Just because you have it doesn't give you any, you know, any signs of ownership. Shiny Taira says if this was an ox that he took, and the ox is different than Mr. Laraya because it's given over to a raya, it's given over to a shepherd. Since it's given over to a shepherd, so um, it's a... Uh, um, there's no real assumption that something that you have is going to be considered yours. Very often it's handed over to other people. The Benesia, there was something that happened in the house of the Nasi, Tafos, Amsa, Diyasmi, Misimta. They took a, a Amma, they took an Amma, they took a, a, a maidservant from the Yasimim in an area of a Simta, okay, in the part of a Rosh which is on the side, protected. And they said to the Benesia, Shaper Tafsua, it was okay. You took it, it's okay. Rabbi says, You're only saying that because you're flattering them. In other words, this is a bunch of baloney. It's a bunch of baloney. Don't try to earn brownie points with these Benesia. Be like, oh, what you did is fine. Just because they come from a chash of a place, chash has, you're going to try to flatter them? No. 
and Rishlakish changed the Psak. And he says, the, this Amma has to go back to the inheritors. You, you cannot grab it. Yemar, when the, this story is going to take us to tomorrow's daf, so we'll end with the story. One more Misa, here we go. Yemar Bachoshu, Abamasik Bezuze Bogavra, Yemar Bachoshu had a, he had a taina, he had some claim for some money, Shachiv Shavik Arba, and the one who borrowed the money died, the Shavik Arba, and he left behind the ship. He owned a ship. He owned a ship. Amar Lei Lishluches, he said to his Shliach, Zil Tifsanieli, go grab the ship. This guy owed me money, I know he's got the ship after he dies. Grab the ship, I want that to pay back. I was all tough stuff. See, the, the Shliach went and he took the ship. Pagabir, Papa Vuna, Brother Vishua, Papa and Vishuda saw him, saw the Shliach, Amar Lei, said to him, You can't grab the ship. You're acting as a shliach, but you know, by you, you should know, by you grabbing the ship for the guy who sent you, you're causing a loss to other people who are owed money to as well. There's other creditors that have rights to this ship. Why are you, why are you trying to help somebody in a way that's going to be detrimental to others? says in such a case, if somebody uh, grabs money for a balchayv in a place where it's going to cause a loss for other people, top of tomorrow's daf, it's not even an acquisition. And anybody else who's owed money can go and also get on that ship and also claim overship. So you going and acting as a shliach is doing nothing. You're wasting your time. So what happened? Listen to this. Tafsua inhu. So now that they stopped him, they went and took the ship. Apparently he owed them money too. So one of them started rowing And one of them started pulling it with the rope One says, oh, listen, I'm owner, I'm rowing No, I'm pulling, I'm pulling it yeah, so everybody, everybody wants this boat It's like the last thing, uh, you know That, that they, can, they can hop from this guy you know, this that you're allowed to grab the property is only when it's in a Rosh Hashanah But over here, the boat's not in a Rosh Hashanah it's, it's in a protected place. It's in like a Simta. And what you're doing is not even going to work. It's right in the Rosh of the orphans where it doesn't help to pull it a row. You're wasting your time. They said to him, No, well, um, the, the boat wasn't anchored well enough. And therefore, by us doing what we're doing, we're saving it from, from, uh, from floating away. Therefore, it's considered like a Rosh Rabim. And, um, and our rowing and our pulling of the boat would be considered taking hold of the ownership. And that's what, that's what they did. Now, ultimately, the story is not done. They're going to come to Rava soon for a psak. It's going to continue. And we'll hold it here for today, Beth We will restart the story tomorrow and pick up uh, and pick up from the bottom of Pedal Ramabez. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, Chevron. We'll see you everybody tomorrow night, Mr. Shim.